You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Joe Saul Sihai. I'm Jen Smith. And you're listening to the Earn and Invest Podcast. And you're listening to the Earn and Invest Podcast. He was my mentor. Or should I say at least it was his book that I read and learned about personal finance. It changed my life. This book is what led me to eventually move away from medicine and towards things that, for me, were much more important. So when he offered to have me speak at his conference, I was overjoyed. I was excited. It was going to be a conference to talk to physicians about medicine and personal finance, and I couldn't wait. And in fact, I had just spoken at the Economy Conference, and I had given a technically difficult talk, and I was coming off of a high, and I knew I had a few days at home before I jumped on a plane to go give this talk. Well, the night before, I got an instant message on Facebook from a friend who was also set to talk at the same conference, and it was one sentence. Are you going? I had been watching the news closely, and COVID was taking off. The pandemic was starting, and we weren't sure what to do. The number of cases was climbing fast, and I had been reading about people passing around COVID-19 at conferences or at conference centers. And I stayed up the whole night thinking about whether I should go, whether I should give this talk for my mentor, this guy that I was so impressed with, or should I let him know that I didn't feel it was safe? I eventually decided that it wasn't the socially responsible thing for me to go. And the next morning, I texted him because I knew he was busy and couldn't take a phone call and told him that he would have to fill my slot with someone else. I was sad, a little bit ashamed, and I felt like I let my mentor down. And this was March of 2020, what would turn out to be, for most of us, a fairly difficult year. So today we're going to talk about 2020. We're going to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. This is 2020, a year in review. Before I get started, I just wanted to make note that we all on this episode realized that 2020 was a very hard year for many people. If you got COVID or had a family member who had it, or God forbid, knew someone who died, This has been a really hard year, or if you lost your job or have faced bankruptcy, although we may laugh during this episode, although we may talk about our own personal experiences, we don't want to make light of the fact that for many, surviving 2020 is enough. And speaking about the good, the bad, and the ugly of 2020, where do you plan on getting your financial advice for 2021? Well, for me, I know a place I go frequently is WalletHacks.com. WalletHacks.com was created by my friend Jim Wang, and it's meant to help us with credit cards, banking, investing, insurance, loans, you name it. You can find information there at WalletHacks.com. They had a recent article about Cube Money, a review of the Practical Envelope budgeting app and bank account. 
This is a place where you can really go and find out about the newest and latest fintech, a place where you can find out what tools can help you get your personal finances in order. Jim Wayne created WalletHacks.com to help demystify money. For far too long, experts have made it complicated so they can make money off you. WalletHacks offers no products, no services, just information to help you become better with your money. And best of all, it's free. Check them out at WalletHacks.com. That's W-A-L-L-E-T-H-A-C-K-S.com. And don't forget to sign up for their free newsletter. Joe Saul is the creator and co-host of the Stacking Benjamins podcast. He is the creator and co-host of the Money with Friends podcast. He is a significant contributor to Earn and Invest. Joe can't say his name without throwing in the word podcast somewhere. So I'll see hi. Welcome back to Earn and Invest. I, I don't know if that's great or horrible or what, but it is what it is, right? Like 2020, it is what it is. It is what it is. You know, I always laugh because Joe and I talk and he's like, oh, I recorded eight episodes today between all the different <laughs> podcasts he's involved in. And I, I do one or two episodes and I'm exhausted. So I'm very impressed, Joe, with your stamina. Thank you. But we got to get this moving because I've got another episode to do. Exactly. Well, why don't we move away from Joe and then to the real talent of the episode. Jen Smith is the writer behind Modern Frugality the co-host of the Frugal Friends podcast and a frequent panelist here on Earn and Invest. Jen, it's good to see you again. Yeah, man, I'm worn out when we do a double record on our podcast. So I don't know how you do eight. I would die. 2020 was a doozy, Jen. Uh, Could you have foreseen a year like this? I mean, you've been thinking about and talking about personal finance for a long time. Was any of this expected? That seems like a really funny question. And and I think no, for, for sure. I I couldn't, I had so many other things on my plate and so many other things I was focused on that a global pandemic, a recession, like global people losing their jobs was just not on my radar of things I could imagine. Joe, we almost talk about this like it's a black swan event, right? Uh, We talk about this term, things that are completely unexpected and unlikely to happen, but they may affect our financial future. Would you classify this pandemic as a black swan event? Absolutely. I don't think that anybody saw this coming. I think that anyone who at the beginning of the year, you know, those top five lists that you read on the internet, the top five things to look forward to in 2020, or the biggest things you could do for your portfolio in 2020. I don't think anybody was thinking, go buy a bunch of Zoom stock was the winning uh, portfolio move for this year. I, yeah. I, I mean, in a year where we started off with Kobe Bryant passing away, and Australian wildfires, and it seems like that was decades ago, is a hell of a year. I know you mentioned Kobe Bryant and the Australian wildfires, and it's like, oh, wait, that was this year too? Yeah, I I didn't even remember. You know, at the beginning, Jenna, I talked about what I think for me was one of the ugly moments of 2020, right? We're talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly. That moment where I decided not to go to that conference just signaled to me that we were beginning what I thought would be kind of a bad few months. Do you remember what point of 2020 where you said, okay, this is going to be different (laughs) than I was expecting? I really thought that we would just shut down for two weeks and then we would be back up and running by April. Like in my naivety, that is what I said. And then April came and May And it was really bad up north, but in Florida, it wasn't that bad. So we started reopening, and then by summer, it was really bad here. So I think June was when I realized this is something that's here to stay for a while. I think that's what set the tone for a lot of the country, too, is that with the whole country going on lockdown right away and everybody thinking this is just going to be a few weeks. I noticed when I talked to people around the country, like I was in Detroit at the time and we were on that top list. You didn't want to be on on the news every day when they had the daily briefings. New York was one, you know, Seattle was there. Detroit then was there and the hospital that was maybe four miles from my house, just packed with COVID cases. So for us, the lockdown 
lockdown was a very real thing. But I think for a lot of people, not just where Jen is, but I have friends like in Tennessee, my friends in Texas, where I am now, they were locked down too. And because they were locked down and nobody saw it locally, I think that when the lockdowns probably should have happened in those communities, you know, when people, when we had a shot at maybe having this be a two or week, two or three week thing in every community, people went, yeah, I didn't know. No, this isn't really, isn't really a thing. So I know here where I am in Texarkana now, doc, that, that it's, it's pretty bad right now here. And yet, you know, I've had workmen at my house and I don't go out in the other room because none of them wear masks. Like nobody does any social distancing because it wasn't a real thing for so long. How do you, who do you believe? This is a year where it was hard to know who to believe. And on one hand, you feel like the advice is real and significant and by trusted authorities. But I think in a year like this year, it had to be so micro, you know, it had to be so community driven that even giving advice state by state, I think was a difficult thing. So I think we're learning a little bit about leadership this year, right? Jen, it's an interesting question. Joe just said, who do you believe? And it's funny because in the personal finance world, I think we all feel really comfortable in this is who I listen to. This is who I follow. When it came to this public health stuff, it seems like we were getting multiple messages. A lot of people said, well, I don't know anyone who's had COVID. And yet, on the other hand, they knew people who had lost their jobs or they knew businesses that were shutting down. Do you think the economic realities were more concrete to people than the health issues? To, to maybe in the personal finance community, I think where we think more about the economy and money than the normal person. But I think outside of this community, I think it was more the work and income that was, and, and then the health, like I think, for for us, we just saw like stock markets up and down and we see, you know, going into trillions of dollars of debt with like second and third stimulus package options. And people are just seeing their their friends dying and their I, I know a lot of my my in-laws like work in hospitals and they're finally starting to see people die whereas before they were not. So I think now it's more on the health front. But yeah, it's it's hard to say. It's so individual. Like like Joe was saying, you can't even make statewide rules. It's it's city to city because every city is so different. So it's it's so such a confusing thing to get my thoughts straight about. <laughs> Joe, one of the things that really was confusing to me is the pandemic surprised us, but then we got used to this idea of, okay, it's here, our world has changed, but the stock market didn't drop. And I think that really confused many people who, if they weren't experiencing it moment to moment, they couldn't wrap their heads around this idea that people were losing their jobs, were entering possibly a global recession, and yet the stock market seems to be hanging in there, right? We had moments where it did drop, but it rebounded quickly. Do you think the stock market was almost misleading for a lot of people? I think it was... I don't know if misleading is the right word. I think it was misleading if you think that the stock market equals the economy. And I think maybe that was a big lesson from 2020. I mean, we saw it during election time, right? One side talking about, hey, stock market's doing great. People are wealthier than ever. And on the other side, you've got 11 million people losing their jobs. So, and then the other side, obviously, then talking about how crappy the economy is. So if you're only looking at half of the, that, that lens, you either think it's absolutely horrible or it's great, but the divide that we've talked about for a number of years between good and bad and haves and have nots, you know, really showed itself in those two arenas, people having jobs and people not having jobs versus what's going on in the stock market a lot in 2020. Jen, one of the biggest surprises of 2020 for me was exactly what Joe talked about. When we talk about recovering of the economy, they've been using this term K-shaped recovery which means obviously that those who are kind of at the top half who had a lot of stocks and bonds who own businesses 
those people did really well and recovered very quickly, whereas those people who were barely surviving to start with have been really hit by this economy. I had never realized how much a dichotomy that was. Had you ever heard that term before, K-shaped recovery? I hadn't, and I hadn't really put the two between the economy and the stock market together until that episode that we did, the one of the last ones I was on with you. But it, it makes so much sense because most people, their lives aren't dependent and their wealth isn't dependent on what they have in the stock market. For most Americans, most of their wealth is tied in their home equity. So the fact that and they don't have as much in their 401k or IRA or whatever. So I think, Jen, I think, Jen, what you're trying to say, and maybe maybe you can state it this way, if it is what you're trying to say, I don't want to put words in your mouth, is that, you know, there's people that are watching their 401k go up. But this is the year where we learned where there's, even though your 401k is going up and it looks really cool, you still are worried about your job, which seems like a weird thing because your 401k going up, you know, I think the aha this year was your 401k going up does not mean that you're going to have a job next week. Yeah. So people, I mean, people's wealth or maybe tied in their home and their 401k, but they can't access those things until retirement. So what do you do until then? So maybe your your you know quote unquote wealth is going up, but is your job reliable? Do you have income coming in to support you until like you you can feasibly or plan like access to those things? And on that point to follow up, Jen, on what you're saying, this is the year where I think optimizing your emergency fund becomes even more ridiculous. You're saying, I don't need an emergency fund was even more ridiculous because I can I can rely on these other things. I can just invest my money. Well, yeah, and this year it was great, but you can see that if you're out of a job, the stock market, who knows if the stock market is going to go up or down next week. And yet online, I still saw people trying to optimize their you know, chasing these 0.6% returns <laughs> where they can make another $47. I feel like sometimes money geeks, we, we cheapen ourselves. We, we don't think about the, the hours that we spend picking up pennies versus, versus going after some of the big decisions we can make. This year certainly made us look at the big picture. And one of the big surprises for me was realizing that my profession as a physician, I always thought of that as a fallback. It, that, in a sense, was a type of emergency fund for me. I kind of knew that no matter how bad things got, I could always return to being a physician and make money that way. This is the first year, at least that I know of, where physicians were getting pay cuts and were getting laid off at times due to the pandemic. You would think it would be the exact opposite where you needed healthcare providers, but because of the surgeries being canceled, because of actually hospital volume going down for everything except COVID, a lot of times the hospitals didn't have revenue anymore to support physicians. They were cutting their benefits. They were cutting their 401k contributions. That was a huge surprise to me. And so far we've been talking about some of these negative surprises. Joe, any positives that came out of this year that you didn't expect? Mine, mine I'll start off personally and wideness because I think this is also a lot of people. So we had a story that began earlier this year where my spouse, Cheryl's job, wasn't really going the way that she wanted. And she decided to take a short-term job in Arizona. And then we had this ridiculous idea for two weeks that we were going to fly back and forth and just visit each other on weekends. And the cool thing about what the three of us do is that, I don't know about you, but you know, the 10 years that I've been in this new financial media world has been just a life-changing thing for me. And I said to Cheryl, I said, why don't we not do that? Why don't we just sell our house? Let's sell everything. And let's just go do these things. Let's just go do these. these. And this is in the middle of COVID time too, right? Well, COVID lesson number one is the truth is out there somewhere, but we're not really sure where because <laughs> we put our house up for sale. We scheduled the estate sale and the job in Arizona went away. It just immediately went away. And then we had to sit down and, and have some deep conversations about what we really wanted and where we wanted to live. But during that time, we spent six months learning how, I spent six months learning how to live anywhere 
in a time when living anywhere is not, you know, being mobile is not something a lot of people want to do right then. But I've lived this last six months in Vermont, in Ohio, in Michigan, in two different towns in Texas, and in Palm Springs, California. And But I found that I am far more flexible, Doc, than I thought I was. And I think this is a lot of people, right? I mean, they're learning that I my look at all the people doing work on their office at home. But and now this office at home means something completely different than it did before. So I think that while for a lot of people this has been a horrible thing, I think, you know, something my mom's always said is what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. And this is definitely the year I think where a lot of us learned that lesson. And a little bit of a non sequitur, but you totally wouldn't think, but the housing market has gone crazy. So is when that, you were making all these plans, mm-hmm. you sold your house quickly. <laughs> it's crazy. We showed our house to nine people and had six offers. Ooh. I would have never foreseen that in the midst of a pandemic, the housing market would take off. Jen, how about you? Any either personal surprises or surprises as a whole that you just didn't see coming with this pandemic in 2020? As digital creators, we're super used to having friends around the country and like being on Zoom or Google Hangouts and stuff. So I was I was really used to having friendships or maintaining friendships with people that like weren't in my direct city. But I had a harder time maintaining friendships with like old college friends and stuff because it wasn't as normal for them. And so I think one of the best things that came out of this was that maintaining long distance relationships became normal for for us because we couldn't see anybody face to face. Everybody was via Zoom. So it didn't matter if you were a, a block over or across the country. And so I got a lot more FaceTime with friends that I don't get to see often because I wasn't the weirdo saying like, hey, let's let's Zoom or let's Google Hang. And everybody was just like normalized by it. And I was like, yes, finally. Yeah, but can we all agree that one thing we learned this year was that playing Jackbox games over Zoom sucks. <laughs> just, come on. I mean, let's be real. I, I like Jackbox as much as the next person, but Jackbox games over the... I don't know. We did that a few times. And one of my friends said, every time we get together to do this, we have, you know, everybody's got wine and we're playing the game. And the, you just look effing miserable. Because like, I am. <laughs> this is horrible. I didn't play any games, but I, they did. They looked fun. I'm glad to know that they weren't. Yeah, for me. I'm sure you're going to get hate mail. Send your hate mail to me, people, not to talk. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely was surprised that the move to virtual went more seamless than you'd expect. Of course, besides Joe and his board games, it seems when it comes to globally, the ability for a lot of people to take their jobs online, a lot of people to take their communities online, I had never seen how powerful this ability is. And I personally did an online conference this year, which for me, I never thought would work out. I did podcast movement virtual and really enjoyed it and found myself much more engaged than I thought I would, because I'm one of those people who really loves going to conferences and meeting people. And I, you know, I miss some of that physical contact of shaking hands and hugging. So I was afraid that the experience wouldn't be as good, but I'm really happy to see that a lot of these conferences have gone virtual and they found ways to still make them engaging and personal. Yeah. I just think the technology adoption across the board for most, not just America, but people around the world has been phenomenal. My mom uses Zoom. She, before this, you know, struggled to operate a computer. Now, now it's, it's, it's pretty normal for her. What's interesting to me is, and this is just a colloquial story from my co-host OG on Stacking Benjamins, his great-grandmother alive during the 90s would tell him stories about the, about the pandemic. The 2000, she was alive during the 2018 pandemic and, and, and died in the, in the late 90s, I believe. But she told him that one of the things that came out of that, that 1918 pandemic was widespread phone usage. 
that, that people would say, why the hell do I need a telephone? I can just go down the street and talk to Harry. You know, I can talk to Jen whenever, whatever, but during that pandemic, but no, we're going to install a phone, Martha. I think that, I think getting the phone might be a good idea now. So maybe it's the same for Zoom and, and Teams and Slack and all these things that we're seeing a lot more usage of today. You know, what you're really talking about is a change philosophically in how we look at the world with the pandemic from seeing people in person to talking on phone. I know that this 2020 has changed my philosophy on a few things. One, as I said, the idea that my job was bulletproof is gone. The idea that you didn't have to worry about an emergency fund as much. I definitely am now much more of a strong advocate for it. The other idea that I think a lot of us held, even though we don't always want to admit to it, is this idea that everyone can reach financial stability, that everyone can reach this strong financial place. And 2020 showed me that for some people, it is a continuous struggle, and it's not just as easy as following these four steps that we love to put in our blog post. Jen, tell me philosophically, has anything changed for you because of 2020 and your feelings about personal finance? First off, I'm so glad to hear that more people are kind of expanding their view on the attainability of wealth. I still think it's attainable to grow your wealth, but I think some people had this this understanding that anybody could reach uh, retirement in their 30s uh, if you worked hard enough and you were frugal enough, but it's just not the case. I really enjoyed seeing more people advocate for diversity in personal finance and across the board. I know like I have personally been held accountable for lack of diversity on our show. And it's something that's challenging, but I think if you're not being challenged, then you're not growing as a creator. And so, and, and the fact that we have like listeners that will challenge us means that they, they love the show and that they want to see it, you know, be all it can be. And so I just, I love seeing that in every industry that there's more of an emphasis on it. Joe, I feel like we are hit from all sides this year. In 2020, we had health problems with the pandemic. We had economic problems with the recession. And then we had social justice issues. And they all came to play at the same time. Has any of this changed your philosophy about how you look at money and finance? No, it, it actually hasn't uh, changed my philosophy, but it made me very hopeful that this year that we're having these in-your-face conversations about how we can learn from people who are different than us versus people who are alike us. And about and and certainly this year wasn't fun when it comes to that, but but those conversations can be fun. And hopefully that's the next thing. That's what I'm hoping for. I mean, I've been hoping that since we started Stacking Benjamins, my goal is to have a circus of a show, not but and I don't want to do a commercial for my show here. But I've always thought that if we can on Monday bring you something that is, you know, one group of people can identify with, and then on Wednesday, a different group of people identify with, the people for Monday will stick around for the Wednesday show and then the Friday show, and they'll get to meet people that aren't like them. And they'll find out how cool it is that when we actually let our meat and potatoes touch each other, it's, it's make good taste, you know? I don't know if that analogy works, but we're going with that one. Gonna <laughs> but you're going to use it one. anyway. <laughs> like fine cheese or something good, but that was that's maybe a bridge too far. Well, one of the things I definitely love about Stacking Benjamins is you're able to handle some of these very difficult conversations with humor. And maybe that's one of the big takeaways from 2020 is that we can be both incredibly serious and also be humorous at the same time, and that those two are not contradictory. I don't think that it has to be in your face. And, and don't, don't get me wrong. I think this year it kind of did need to be in your face a little bit. I think there's too many people that still don't get that. But, and I'm also sadly, you know, even though I'm optimistic and I'm hopeful, there's still a piece of me that says that too many people still don't hear that message. So we, have, we still have a lot of work to do there. And some of the sadness that I have about, you know, the fact that nobody really listens to any of us collectively 
financial people. There's not enough people having this conversation makes me sad. I think still too many people think it's a heavy conversation. You know, you take Dave Ramsey colloquially has between one and 2 million listeners per episode and is the bajillion pound gorilla in our space. You take his show, Jen show, Doc, your show, Stacking Benjamins, Choose FI, Bigger Pockets Money, How to Money, Journey to Launch, Brown Ambition, take every show that we all know, and we maybe, <laughs> we maybe reach four or five million people. And the United States is over 330 million people. Nobody's, nobody's having these conversations yet that we still have so much work to do, which by the way, I prefer to look at the glasses still half full though there, that there's still a lot of people that, that, that can hear this message. And a lot of people can have the wake up call. It always makes me excited when I see somebody in some Facebook group go, I just discovered XYZ podcast and now I'm completely hooked and I've changed my feelings about money. And that's always fantastic, but we got a long way to go. In the first half of the show, Jen, Joe, and I talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of 2020. After the break, we discuss the most taboo subject of all, politics. But first... All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor. And it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner, and now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Are you tired of spending time on spreadsheets to manage and keep track of your investments? Passive.com can help you invest, rebalance, and keep track of your accounts so you can get rid of your spreadsheets. Once you set up your portfolio, Passive will do all the calculations to keep it balanced, send you notifications when your portfolio needs attention, and you can even place your trades across multiple accounts at the click of a button. Passive helps you keep a balanced portfolio in your brokerage account with ease. It's like being your own personal robo-advisor. Check them out at Passive.com. That's P-A-S-S-I-V.com. Again, P-A-S-S-I-V.com. Jen, speaking about 330 million people, where maybe only a small percentage of us are busy talking about personal finances, what everyone seems to be talking about is politics. And I can't separate out. Really, where? <laughs> exactly. I, I thought you were going to say the Queen's Gambit, because that's, that's what I'm seeing. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> the, the Queen's Gambit was pretty good. But, <laughs> but politics have colored probably everything we think about 2020. Do you think it's affected us in our discussions about personal finances? Have politics even entered this realm? Always. I mean, everything, politics touches everything. And if you don't believe that, then you're you're probably living under a rock, unless that rock is your home and you've been quarantined there. And then that's fine. <laughs> 
but it it touches everything. I think everything we've gone through in 2020 has has to some extent like impacted itself. But I think so. So we've been talking a lot about how like this is the most divisive election and and how crazy politics are. And yes, but I feel like it gets that way every four years. We say that every four years. And then it takes us four years to forget. And then we remember the next election year. So I and and I can never imagine how how it could get worse in four more years, but somehow always manages to. So yeah, it's I it's been an interesting year for politics because it hasn't been as I think we would have seen a lot more of it for longer if we weren't dealing with issues of pandemic and racism. So it's I it's it'll be interesting to see where we are in four more years. Joe, was there a big exhalation after the election was over, not based on who won or who didn't win, but just on this idea that we can maybe move on and start trying to repair our country? You know, I'd, uh, I would love to say yes, but no, no. I know there's already people gearing up for four years from now. And I already know that we do politics, sadly, not based on ideas but based on what team we're on and politics, like it's a football game, I find personally kind of disgusting. And I feel like the, the, the political networks, I mean, they're not even news networks anymore. They're political networks. The political networks propagate that. They talk about somebody is an X fan versus a Y fan. I can't talk to my friend anymore that I used to like because they're a, a fan of the other side. This isn't a football game. And, and now, sorry. We, we we learned nothing for 2020 in this space, I think. Nope. Joe, if you peruse Facebook or Twitter, you will see a lot of people in the personal finance community talking about one politician's policies being more fiscally responsible than the others. We've had people who complain about, you know, one candidate is going to push taxes where another is more business friendly. How important do you think political elections are to the personal finance world long term? Do you think there are major consequences from this election and what's going to happen in the future? Nope. The Hartford had a great study that came out showing that all of our preconceived notions that one one group in power versus another historically have not borne out. That has not been the case. And uh, so all the rhetoric that we hear historically has not been been worth the time that people spend arguing about it. We, you know, I've, I really espouse uh, Stephen Covey, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one thing he talks about are these three pots, right? There are things that we can control. There are things that we can control and influence, and there are things that we can neither control nor influence. We can certainly influence elections by voting, but I feel like people spend a a lot of time lately, just a lot of time. And I see this with close family members, and it makes me sad that they spend most of their time dealing with that pot three stuff, stuff that I can't really control, can't influence, instead of the stuff that we can. I don't even remember what the original question was, Doc, because it just makes me, this whole topic makes me so sad. Because it's not a football game and, 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 and we don't verify facts. You know, studies also show most of us get our facts from Facebook. N- not, not, not great. But like we're so turned off by the news that we go to Facebook, <laughs> which is worse. But, but it's yeah. actually the same thing. You think about this. If we go back to financial terms, you know, in, in the financial world, I used to think that unbanked people didn't work with banks because they were kind of dumb. You know, and then I learned over time studying this more in depth that people that know this, uh, people like a woman named Carol Rolini, who wrote a great book a few years ago about, uh, about banking at the bottom of the pyramid. And the bottom of the pyramid means people who are really poor have figured out that banks charge them tons of fees and tons of, tons of, you know, uh, a small account uh, fees, fees because they don't have a normal paying job, so they don't have direct deposit. So now they have to pay these fees on their checking account, fees because they have these issues that really rich people don't have. And they take all the money from those fees and they give tons of stuff to people at the top that really don't need the stuff. And, and by the way, that's not, that's not, let's go tax the, tax the rich. I'm definitely not talking about that. But what I am talking about is, these people aren't as dumb as 
as I thought they were. They actually go to a payday lending place because they know they're being hosed. They're not talked to some, they're not being talked to by somebody who's smiling at them, you know, as they walk in the door and then thrusting a knife in their back as they leave the bank. They know they're getting hosed, but it's a much better way to, 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 to live life. And I feel like that's, that's some of in financial terms, what we're, what, what we're dealing with here. Yeah, it almost brings up the term empathy. I feel like what 2020 also taught me is it's really hard to know what someone else is going through or what their struggles are unless you're walking a little bit in their shoes. And I think with the banking example, you only know if you're actually stuck in their position and seeing how you're getting hosed on all these fees. It's uh, definitely been a wake-up call, I think, for a lot of us. This year, what's, what's, man, I'm being a downer all of a sudden. I came in here so optimistic, but, but, uh, but, but also 2020 showed me how broken I think social media is, right? I mean, social media definitely needs some fixing. And I don't think that the government oversight stuff, you know, where they, they bring Jack Dorsey in and have him talk to a bunch of senators that don't even use uh, Twitter. I don't know that that's going to help, but, but, but I do realize that this, you know, social media showing me what they think I'm going to like and showing me really, in a lot of ways, less diversity, right? Just things that agree with my opinion and cement my opinion and make me feel like everybody else feels the way that I do makes it so that when I find somebody who is a little different and has a different point of view than I do, to your point, Doc, I, I'm bewildered. I have no idea why anybody would think that way. Because all day I'm online with the entire world on social media. Nobody thinks like you do, idiot. So you must be a complete moron. And now we're going to fight on social media, which, by the way, helps Every time. I don't know about you, Jen, but, but whenever I try to change somebody's mind on Facebook, they go, oh, thank you. And then we come to some agreement in the middle, right? Isn't that what happens? Ab- absolutely. That's what social media is for. It's it's so funny you say that because I was watching the news for you know the one week of the year that I watched it. And there was a guy say that they were interviewing and they were like, why, why do you think this candidate isn't going to win? And he's like, I don't know a single person in my life that voted for this candidate. I don't know a single person. And so, but they were like, well, don't, don't you think maybe people you don't know voted for them? And, and the person was like, no. And well, that can't just be around you that he has to mean social media. Yeah. Yeah. And and half the country, I mean, for, for all of us, how despondent were you, no matter which way you voted, that half the country voted the other way, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I was. I was like, half the country believes this crap. I can't believe half the country believes this. It's insane. It was really eye-opening for me because I got rid of most of my personal social media accounts a long time ago. So the only social media accounts I have are connected to Earn and Invest and my persona is Doc G, which means that Sometimes the people I follow or who follow me have a very radically different political leaning than I do or that would I'd be surrounded by if they were personal social accounts. So I get to see firsthand as I scroll through these accounts, all these opinions that are not necessarily the people socially I hang out with in the real world always. So it was very, very eye-opening. And so I guess it doesn't surprise me because I've been watching their posts for the last six to 12 months to see that there are people who don't necessarily align with me. But I can't imagine if I didn't have this podcast, if I didn't have this interest in personal finance, which doesn't always meld exactly with my social concerns, I don't think I would see the other side at all. And that really forms a protective bubble where everyone agrees with you. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. For, I mean, to an extent, it, it almost makes me sad that because I'll see somebody and once I know they have a different political belief than me, it makes me judge them a little bit and and I'm judging them for something that they're not even like acting out totally separate from their character. And and I have to like question like, why it, why is this have so much impact in my judgment over this person when their character has been really different. It's so it's, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, obviously not everyone, some people are just not nice and they have, you know, they defend their political beliefs in a nice, not nice way either. But yeah, it's just different. It's kind of sad. 
Yeah, I feel like there's a number of people out there that need uh, PR training. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, if we could do like worldwide social media PR training, that would be fantastic. I uh, and and I do feel lucky that I got, I I used to be a spokesperson for American Express, and I remember they put me through a bunch of PR training, and I thought this is gonna be a total waste of time. And the number of times on social media I've had to go back to that training to make sure that I don't put my foot in my mouth and just kind of, you know, protect my reputation a little bit online has been, has been a godsend. And I kind of wish that more people had, had to do that. I'm like, yeah, if you had any PR training, you probably wouldn't have said that. Cause I get judgy too, Jen. I do. I, I still am like, Oh man, my son and I were talking about that. There's a, a guy who we both know. And frankly, I think who you guys both know too, who I really like one-on-one and over the past six months, I really have disliked him because his social media presence is so much different than his presence when you meet him face to face. And the sad news about 2020 is that's the only way, Jen, we were talking about the good side of this, which is getting together with friends. The bad mm -hmm. side is too. It's the only way that we interact now and we don't have training doing it. We're all kind of new at it, even though it's been around a while and we're seeing each other's ugliness. Yeah. Joe, let's look forward to 2021. I mean, obviously, I think one of our challenges is going to be how to learn how to manage, handle, and interact with people who think radically different than us. What do you see as the big issues facing us in 2021? Well, the cool thing is, is since COVID goes away at the end of this year and everything's going to be great January 1st, it's going to be just back to the way it was. Oh, wait. Yeah. I think that <laughs> I think that the key is going to be flexibility in your plan. I mean, if we're really making this financial flexibility in your plan, realizing that things don't work out the way that you thought they were going to work out all the time and, and preparing for the unexpected, like asking yourself all those risk management questions. And I like the term risk management better than buying insurance because it widens the discussion. Like insurance people want you to talk about buying insurance. But I think, okay, if I have a car accident in 2021, what happens? By the way, versus COVID, I'll take 85% of the car accidents any day versus, versus COVID. The other 15% might be worse. But I think risk management is something for 2021 that's going to be a bigger challenge. And for those who don't know, Joe actually had COVID. So he speaks from experience when he talks about <laughs> car accidents versus getting COVID. I got very, and I got very lucky, but you still don't want it. Like I got a very mild part of it, but you still don't want it. Jen, Joe makes a great point. Risk management, I think always was important, but certainly is one of the lessons of 2020 that will carry into 2021. What do you think is going to be on our minds financially for 2021? Any pivots or changes from 2020? I think that people may have gotten off track financially this year, understatement of 2020. But I'm hoping that people will try to start to get back on track January 1st when COVID's completely over. So I'm hoping that people will get back into wanting to maybe pay down some credit card debt that they racked up or pay back a 401k loan or start making those 401k and IRA contributions that they paused, like little things. I'm hoping that that's what we see in 2021, you know, TBD what we actually see. To jump off that, Jenna, I think for me, one of the big hopes and messages for 2021 is optimism. I feel like we got caught in a place of pessimism this year that has colored everything. It's colored our look at politics. It's colored our look at our finances. It's colored our interactions with each other and in social justice. My hope is that we can jump into 2021 with some optimism. Maybe that is the COVID vaccine. Maybe that is forging closer bonds with people that we don't necessarily have the same political views with. Maybe it's realizing that there is not a huge stock bubble, which Joe is definitely on my mind. Could you see in 2021 the market maybe losing some of its air because it's been pushed up for so long? You know, as long as there are people buying stuff as a reflection of the economy, the answer is no, because stock market can go up forever. 
So getting caught in that trap of thinking that way is a mistake. But also thinking that the market can do whatever the heck it wants to at any time is, is I think, a great way to go in. I don't think people, Doc, to, to your point, I don't think people have enough fear of the stock market. And I think going into any year with some fear that the stock market might go poorly will mean that in 2021, let's think optimistically, like you were talking about, we'll go in with, with what's called an investment policy statement. Investment policy statement is something that professionals use. It says, this is what I'm going to do to manage my money. It's not reactionary. It's not based on a stock market going down or an election coming up or COVID or anything else. It said, when these factors occur, this is what I'm going to do much more generally. And then uh, like as an example, I'm going to rebalance my portfolio on July 1st this year. That's part of a good investment policy statement. I'm going to leave it alone the rest of the year, but on July 1st. And you say that on January 1, and studies show that that's way, way, way better than, than going, ooh, I think that this thing's going to happen next week, so I'm going to play a game. There's a great phrase that OG, my co-host, says all the time, and that's that the stock market will always find a way to disappoint the biggest set of people. And if you and if you play from that that hand and think that no matter what ingenious move I'm making, that the stock market's going to prove me wrong, I think that's a great place to start from going into 2021. I love that message. It's the idea that optimism can exist even if things go wrong. And the way we deal with that is we make good plans. And I think that's a huge message for 2021. Well, and that's where my optimism comes from. Whenever I talk about getting, whenever I talk about pot three stuff, like we just did the election, that's where I get pessimistic. Whenever I think about us collectively grabbing the bull by the horns, figuring out what we need to do for ourselves, right? To, to make my life better, whether it's asking my boss for a raise or finding a job or saving automatically, like what Jen's talking about for the first time, getting a plan together to, to, to pay down debt. I always find that when I do that in my own life, that's when I get really excited. Like I get super excited. But then when I think about the malaise of the BS around me, that's what I'm, so if I want to be more optimistic in 2021, think about the stuff that I can do and what I've got to do today instead of what the world has to do. And I'm going to be way happier. We've been talking about 2020 and our hopes for 2021. We are all content producers. Jen, tell me what are your plans for your podcast, Frugal Friends, and for your website, Modern Frugality? What are you looking towards in 2021? So for Frugal Friends, we're going to invest a lot more effort into community building. So that's kind of something that we are going to spend the entire year doing. So giving our people a place where they can not just learn about personal finance, but also be in community with other like-minded individuals, even if maybe they don't live down the block, maybe they live across the country, but giving them a place to do both more in depth. And then on Modern Frugality, just trying to do a little education on risk management, stuff like that. And then also giving people the encouragement and the tools they need to make those beginnings with savings and paying off debt and more for people who are getting started with their journey. And Joe, talk to us a little bit about what direction you think Stacking Benjamins is going to take in 2021 and what is going on with Money with Friends. I think on uh, Stacking Benjamins, we're going to just continue the theme of trying to mess with your head all the time. I really enjoy that. I really like surprising people. I like surprising myself. I like pushing pushing discussions. We're, we're going to have some very interesting, we'll put it this way, discussions coming up over the next couple months that I think are going to push people in a way that you're not used to the Stacking Benjamin show doing. So, and I think we're also going to be a little bit more transparent about what we're doing. I think a lot of people think that the show is just light, light and airy, but it really is light and airy on purpose because I think people learn more that way. And then on Money with Friends, you know, I've really liked the fact that we've got, we've been able to collaborate with so many different people. This, this, I mean, this season, we're collaborating on episodes with David Bach. And we're collaborating with Farnoosh Tarabi, collaborating with Bola Sukumbi from Clever Girl Finance. So I love the feeling that they pick half the headlines that we do on the show. Bobby Rebell and I pick half the headlines and it gives it this 
also mess with your head kind of thing where just because we talk about something on Monday, we're probably going to talk about something different on Tuesday. I think, I think in 2021, though, we're going to get away from the financial sphere, not because I don't like what financial people have to say, and we're definitely still going to talk finance, but I really like it when we have people on talking finance that aren't from the financial world. So, you know, uh, uh, last season we had a guy named Tate Frazier who has a great Westwood One podcast, two Westwood One podcasts, one about college basketball and the other one about professional basketball. And him talking about what these, what these, these, basketball players do with these contracts and getting into debt and, and, and just bringing some of the sports analogies into it was pretty exciting. I don't want to do that six days a week, but if we can maybe have a sports person on Monday and a fashion person on Tuesday and maybe a history buff on Wednesday and all revolve that around money, it'll continue to be, to be, be something different all the time. So money with friends will evolve a lot. I know that on Earn and Invest, I'm going to steal a little bit from both of you. We're definitely looking at continuing to build community, but also to Joe's point, broadening the conversation, bringing in unexpected voices to talk about not only finances, but life in a different way. And I certainly see all of us heading in that direction in 2021. So whether you just survived 2020 or thrived, whether we like it or not, it is coming to an end. Thank you, Joe Salcihai and Jen Smith, for talking to us about the good, the bad, and the ugly of 2020. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. That's a wrap. Well, I can't believe it, but it's true. We are coming up to the end of 2020, and I know that we're all looking forward to 2021. First of all, I wanted to thank you for joining us in the Earn and Invest community. This is not just a podcast. It's a Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash earn and invest. It is a website at earnandinvest.com as well as a YouTube channel. I'm so excited to have you all as part of our community. As we look forward to 2021, I personally am thinking about what I want to accomplish. I am not a big fan of this idea of New Year's resolutions, and yet I want to set a series of goals for myself, both personally and for the podcast. Personally, I'm going to put it out right now. My big audacious dream is to get a book deal. I've been working on writing a book about personal finance as well as my experience as a hospice doctor and how they both come together. I have a book proposal prepared and I am currently searching for agents. It's an exciting time for me. I've written books before, but I've always self-published and I've decided to go the extra lengths and look for the traditional publisher, a traditional agent, to do it the right way. I shouldn't say that self-publishing is the wrong way, but there's a certain amount of credibility by getting a book published by a traditional publisher, and I look forward to taking on that task. I don't know if I succeed. I may fail. It's one of the beauties of being at this point in my career and my personal finance journey is I have nothing to lose. And I have time. And those are two key ingredients into going after those things that you're always afraid to do. So I'm really looking forward to that. For Earn and Invest, my big audacious goal is to pass a million downloads by the end of 2021. I'm halfway there, a little bit more. And at this rate, I should be pretty darn close. I want to continue building the podcast and building the community around it. Because as you guys know, the whole idea for me upon creating this podcast was really to make it a podcast for our community, for us to have those next level discussions. Otherwise, as I've talked about before, I'd like to broaden the conversation, not just personal finance and financial independence, but to talk about life in general and how that touches on our finances. I want to, of course, beef up the quality of the show every week. I put my best into these shows to not only make the topics as good as they can be, but the sound and quality of discussion top-notch. And so my goal is to continue to build on that this year, 
to have more meaningful interactions with our community and create some of the best radio out there. Thank you for being part of Earn and Invest. I hope you enjoy the holiday season and have a great new year. I'm looking forward to 2021. It's coming around the corner, and I can't wait to see what we all can accomplish together. Hey. Woo! 2020, man. I know. It was hard because with that conversation, like, you don't want to totally go negative, but that also was somewhat of our reality. Like, it was a yeah. little bit of a negative year. I shouldn't say a little bit. It was a negative year. It was Lots a dumpster of fire. Crappy things happened. Yeah. We should yeah. use the term dumpster fire somewhere in that show. <laughs> I'll just clip it. Like in. a bingo board of all the terms that we wanted to use. Uh, oh, 2020? Dumpster fire. <laughs> dumpster yeah. Fire. That's how I feel. We we should have we, we totally should have had this this bingo board of terms, and then sit race to see who can collect them first. And if somebody like yelled bingo three quarters of the way through your episode, <laughs> maybe bingo. we can do that. Maybe we do that for a frugal friends. Uh, uh, Joe, you're going to be doing a kind of a few end of the year shows, right? Are yeah, yeah, two. One with the normal contributors, and another one with the financial celebrity although so you, you we, can we've... see from this one not to do <laughs> <laughs> this is good i thought hey jen and i how can you do better than this, this well is, exactly this is not, but otherwise this is the a-team lineup yes right? <laughs> different i i'm i've lost i'm done no problem <laughs> nope nope i'll cut that's, it out yeah that's not going anywhere no problem so one <laughs> I'm just three. trying to say that there's a middle class. There's somewhere different. There's 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 a middle. There's a middle. Forget about it. Forget about it. <laughs> Don't worry. About I spilled it. my coffee on me this morning, so I only had half a cup. <laughs> I'm trying to get like the most difficult, complicated just, questions. To throw yeah, I, so I think. <laughs> as a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate background, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambie Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. Stretch opportunity. What is a yoga class? Get out of here. <laughs> 